It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. It's an Easter Sunday special and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be continuing the reaction to Arsenal nil, Liverpool 3. I know it's a game that we want to forget about. I know it's a game that we want to move on from, uh, but it's a game that I've rewatched. Um, don't know why I did it to myself, but I did. Um, I've rewatched it. And I've watched it again with a calmer, cooler head. Um, and I'm hoping that I can bring you some insight with regards to some of the tactical decisions that Mikel Arteta made and how they failed, basically. Um, looking at yesterday's game in particular, I'm going to try and show you guys what I think he wanted to do, um, but what actually happened. So, um, yeah, going to... Uh, Going to take you through uh, some of the tactical analysis as we uh, as we continue the fallout from that game, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on. If you're watching us live right now, happy Easter. Happy Easter to everybody listening to this back a little bit later on or watching it back later on as well. Hope you're all good. Hope you've had a good day with your families and friends or whatever um, and enjoyed that last bit of sunshine because it looks like the weather here in London is going to take a turn uh, for the worst, for a few days now, uh, off the back of uh, a decent weekend in the end. Tomorrow, it's supposed to be six degrees where I am, um, which is not not ideal, is it? Um, it wasn't majorly warm today, but the sun was shining, uh, and so we got through it. But enough about the weather. Let's talk about the Arsenal. Uh, let me say a big hello to everybody who's in the chat right now. I can see there are plenty of you watching. Hi to Josh, to Gunatel, to Brad, to T-Talks, to Thomas, to Al Carp, who says, <laughs> watching Arsenal right now, it's like watching the passion of the Christ. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does feel like we're just being tortured, doesn't it? Um, it, it really does. Uh, Rutvik in the chat says, uh, please, mate, if you're going to give the excuse of missing four or five players, then that's lousy. If you think... Um, that I am literally just going to sit here and talk about the players we're missing. You are wrong. Um, that's not that's not what um, what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about the impact of those players, and when I'm demonstrating the points that I'm going to make uh, around Arsenal's tactical game yesterday, I probably will refer to some of those and talk about maybe how things might have been a little bit different had some of them been available. But I'm not just going to sit here and simply make the excuse that there were four or five players missing because it's not good enough. Uh, Mikel Arteta said that himself whenever he was asked about the players that were missing. He, he dismissed that that comment, didn't he? Time and time again, he didn't want to hear it, didn't want to talk about it, wanted to focus on the fact that what he saw uh, and what he got out of his team was just simply not good enough. Uh, big hello to uh, Fergus from the Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast. He says, happy Easter, Harry, on the football. Why did Mikel Arteta put in El Nenny over Martinelli? We'll come on to uh, a lot of that 
uh, over the next sort of half an hour, 40 minutes or so. So uh, stay tuned and um, I'll do uh, my best to uh, to answer all your questions to the best of my ability. Got some questions on Twitter, got some questions from the YouTube channel as well. So I'll make sure uh, that we uh, pick up some of those as well. But let's begin by looking at how Arsenal lined up. Now, I know we we kind of touched on this on the last show. We talked about the way we set up. We we talked about the, the personnel, but I want to go into it in a little bit more detail this time around. And so I'm going to share my screen uh, for those of you watching us on YouTube. Don't worry if you're listening uh, via the audio. I'll do my best to, to keep you uh, up to date with what it is I'm saying and demonstrate those points uh, vocally. In goal, it was Bern Leno. It was a back four of Tierney, Gabriel, Holding and Chambers. Of course, David Luiz was unavailable. And we've learned today that David Luiz did indeed undergo some surgery to a problem in the right knee. David Luiz is at home. He's uh, begun his rehabilitation, but we expect him to be out for a number of weeks. Doesn't bode well that for me. Um, you know, a lot of people were speculating last night that he'd be out for the rest of the season. We don't know that for a fact, but the fact that he's had an operation, it doesn't look good, does it? There's not an awful lot of the season remaining. And it, it also puts into question, doesn't it, what David Luiz's future holds now? Because we're talking about somebody that I think a lot of Arsenal fans haven't been keen on for the most part of his Arsenal career. But I would th say that he's somebody that's won people over over time. I think people are starting to recognise his importance to the team as a leader um, and his importance behind the scenes. And I think a fair few uh, would have been OK with him being offered the new contract. But does this injury change that? Maybe it does. Manchester United have just equalised against Brighton. Great. Um, but moving on to the midfield, of course, Granit Xhaka was unavailable. Uh, Granit Xhaka, who was suffering from illness, he missed training on Friday and he was left out of the side um, because he he just simply didn't recover. Danny Sabas came in alongside Thomas Partey. Martin Odegaard uh, was the central attacking midfielder. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang started from the left, Nicolas Pepe from the right and Alexander Lacazette through the middle. There's a couple of questions in the chat now. Um, and I, I think I'm going to pick these up now rather than doing it a little bit later because they're jumping out at me and I, I want to pick up a couple of those um, before we move on. The first one comes from Al Carp, who says, I have a question for you, Harry. If, and this is a big if, we win the Europa League, do you consider this a good season, even if we finish ninth or tenth in the league? I would consider it a good season because Arsenal will have achieved their objective which was to get back in the Champions League. At the start of the campaign, when Mikel Arteta set out with this group of players, having just won the FA Cup, their aim would have been uh, to get Arsenal back into the UEFA Champions League. The the, the ninth or tenth thing, it's not ideal. Of course it's not. Uh, and it, it would be a, a really clear indicator that there is still plenty of work to be done. However, uh, we would have achieved our objectives and it's, you know, it's impossible to ignore that fact. Um, Moving on from that one, 1-0 one to the Arsenal says, Harry, do you think that was our worst performance of the season? If not the worst, it was in the top three for me. It was really poor. Um, and I'm going to come on to talk a little bit more about some of the tactical elements as to why I felt it didn't work. Um, you know, I, I, I completely accept that the application of the players themselves was not right. Um, the attitude was bad. The, the lack, there was a clear, distinct lack of desire. 
There was bad decision making throughout the group. There was so many issues, but I feel like I addressed a lot of them on the last podcast. So I don't really want to go into the let's have a go at everybody and be irate about the level of performance. I want to focus on the tactical side. So if you didn't catch the last show, please do not feel as though I am glossing over the attitude of some players. I'm glossing over the effort levels because I'm not. Um, I just don't want to beat the same drum over and over again. Um, He also asks, was that a Liverpool masterclass or were we just Dross Harry? I think it's too strong to call it a Liverpool masterclass because I think Arsenal's Arsenal was so bad that they made Liverpool look a lot better than Liverpool were. And that's not because Liverpool aren't a good side. That's because Liverpool were able to win that game cruising through and and, and doing it in second gear. And, and that's what makes it really, really frustrating. Uh, Thomas is asking me, what's my take on what Goldbridge has said about Arsenal today? I haven't seen uh, what Mark Goldbridge has said. So please uh, feel free to share in the chat. And um, and I'll I'll comment on that a little bit later on, but I, I was I didn't watch anything of Mark Goldbridge's, um, so I don't know what it is that he said uh, about the club. I want to start off in the midfield because I think the midfield was a massive massive issue uh, for us yesterday, and I'm talking about uh, the in particular Danny Sabios. I thought Danny Sabios was a real big problem yesterday uh, for Arsenal, but I also don't want to, you know. I also don't want to completely overlook Thomas Partey's part in Arsenal being overrun as well and Arsenal being dominated. Because I thought whilst Thomas Partey started well, first 15, 20 minutes, I thought he faded after that and he looked really, really poor. And it's got to be a concern now. I mean, how many times are we going to watch Thomas Partey um, run out of steaming games? Are we going to watch Thomas Partey not quite at the level that he should be at considering we splashed £45 million on him, considering we've seen glimpses and flashes of what a player he can be. I've described him as a transformative midfielder when he's at his best, but he's nowhere near his best at the moment. And that needs to be said. It's all good picking on Danny Sabayos, and I'm going to pick on him quite a bit uh, during this podcast. Again, it's not personal to Danny Sabayos. I like the guy. I like the way he tries. I like the way he, he, he wants to play football. But it just isn't working for Danny Sabas. And I guess the fact that he's probably going to be off in the summer, almost certainly going to be off in the summer, um, isn't ideal. And maybe that has a part to play in it. The fact that he's in and out of the side so much, it's probably an issue too. Um, uh, You know, but let's talk about the game yesterday and, and how he applied himself. And, you know, I get. I said it yesterday. One of the f- first lessons to take away from that game was just how important David Luiz and Granit Xhaka are to this Arsenal side. You can like them or you can loathe them. You can think they're shit. You can think they're clowns. You can think they're an absolute disaster class. But the fact is that David Luiz is our best centre-back by about a mile at the moment. And Granit Xhaka is our most important midfielder. Now, important doesn't mean the best necessarily in terms of technical quality, in terms of, you know, physical attributes, in terms of all of that. But in terms of his importance, it is absolutely huge. And I'm going to demonstrate some of the points as why, as to why. And, you know, I know somebody commented a little bit earlier on, I don't want to hear about the players that weren't playing, but I have to bring those up because I have to talk about how 
it could have been different if they were in the side. And I'm just going to shift around with the tactics board a little bit here. Um, those of you who watch me regularly will know that I'm a massive fan of my little tactics board. So let's move these players uh, forward a little bit and we can start to get an idea uh, of what it is exactly I'm, I'm trying to talk about, I'm trying to explain here. And obviously we're talking about the centre of midfield and we're talking about Danny Sabas right now. And, and Danny Sabas for me is simply not press resistant. And, and people look at Granite Xhaka and say, He's not press resistant because he moves too slowly. He doesn't turn quick enough. He isn't sharp enough in terms of the way he changes direction. Sometimes he plays uh, silly passes. Sometimes he takes an extra touch. Yeah, that can be sometimes true of Granite Xhaka. But Granite Xhaka, for the most part, and this is something he's improved on during his time at Arsenal, I would say, um, certainly from the beginning anyway, where he got caught out far more frequently. I think as he's adapted to the Premier League, as he's understood what is required a little bit more, he's, he's improved in this particular area. And that is receiving the ball, taking a touch and moving it, moving it on quickly. That's how you're going to be press resistant against the side with bags and bags of energy like Liverpool have. And listen, make no mistake about it. Had Chelsea won at West Brom, um, or against West Brom, I should say, earlier on in the day, maybe Liverpool don't come out the way they did at the Emirates Stadium. Maybe Liverpool forget about the top four and, and shift their focus onto that game against Real Madrid. But Chelsea suffered a shock result. Chelsea were beaten. And that, I think, you know, it should have fired us up as well, really, because we could have moved into within, you know, reach of, of Chelsea. But it seemed to fire... Um, you know, first of all, it, it seemed to fire Liverpool up a lot more than it did us. And that's a worry in itself. But let's let's go back to Sabas because I realised I've digressed. I talk about him not being press resistant, but it wasn't just that. Positionally and tactically, Danny Sabayos does not do what Granite Xhaka does. And let's just imagine for a minute that I'm talking about Granite Xhaka here and not Danny Sabahs. What would we see him do in a situation where Arsenal are struggling to get the ball, to play the ball out, to move the ball forward? He drops that little bit deeper into the into a slightly left position. He he protects the back four. Um, you know, he, he he that's what he does. He sits in these deeper areas. And, and tries to protect and helps Arsenal create a, a bit more of a, a stronger defensive shield. You'll also see him do this from time to time. You'll see the centre-half shift over and Xhaka just tuck in there and make it a three. You'll see him screen in front because Partey has a bit more licence to be a box-to-box -box midfielder, if you like. He also protects on the left massively. That is one of the biggest features of Granit Xhaka's game and why he's so important not just to Arsenal, but to Kieran Tierney, who loves to bomb on forward. And particularly when Aubameyang's in the side, who isn't going to be as defensively minded as a natural winger. Granite Xhaka's, you know, awareness of that and willingness to drop in these kind of areas on the left-hand side makes Arsenal a far more strong defensive outfit. You then see Partey come in there. Maybe Odegaard will drop a little bit deeper as well. And all of a sudden... You know, there's there's an extra body in there to protect in, in the event that when Kieran Tierney or Bamiang or, or Arsenal create that overload on the left-hand side, things break down. 
Danny Sabas isn't going to do that. And this is not a knock of Danny Sabas, right? It's just that is a very specific feature to Granit Xhaka's game. And it's a feature that, you know, has seen him become majorly, majorly important in this team. We don't have anybody else who does that. We don't even have it on the opposite side with someone else. You, That's why in this Arsenal team, that's why I talk about it time and time again as being very, very lopsided because with Xhaka in there, it allows Tierney to bomb on. Sometimes you'll see though, and particularly when Bellerin plays, you'll see the right back be a little bit more conservative. You saw it yesterday as well, the right back more conservative than the left back because our team is lopsided and it's all geared to getting Kieran Tierney forward down the left, exposing the wide areas and then Aubameyang coming in field. That's what it's all about. That's why Arsenal are lopsided and the 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 awareness and the positioning of Granite Xhaka is so, so key to that. He's not there. It's a completely different ball game. And what Liverpool did constantly was they'd pull Mo Salah out onto the right-hand side. He'd isolate Kieran Tierney. And listen, this is no knock on Kieran Tierney. Mohamed Salah would beat pretty much anybody for pace. You see a midfielder go out to the right-hand side as well. And you see Trent Alexander-Arnold coming up on the right-hand side. And if Aubameyang isn't going to get back and defend alongside uh, his fullback and, and do it properly, then Kieran Tierney's got a, a really difficult task. So that was a, a big problem for me. Danny Ceballos, A, just simply not being a like-for-like like replacement to Granite Xhaka, which then means that this system doesn't work as effectively, but also the fact he's not press resistant. You're talking about a player, you know, in in Danny Ceballos, who most of the time wants to take three or four touches on the ball before he plays a pass. And you simply can't do that when you're playing against the high press. The way you beat a high press is to move the ball quickly, sharply around players and break beyond it as quickly as possible. That's how you take advantage of the space vacated by your opponent. And I just, you know, it, it just didn't work with Danny Ceballos because of positional reasons, because of his tactical awareness or lack of in comparison to, to Xhaka and because he took too many touches on the ball and we couldn't move it forward quick enough. Inter in the chat says, we've still been getting exposed with Xhaka in the team. We have, of course we have. And we will continue to get exposed because Arsenal are not a great football team right now. But you could not tell me that we didn't miss Xhaka last night. And I am absolutely confident that we may not have won the game, but Arsenal would have been less dominated. Arsenal would have had more control of the game, more control of the ball um, and more control defensively had he been in the side over Danny Sabaz. I'm not saying that Xhaka's perfect. I've never said that on this channel, but that seems to be the... Um, you know, the, the the thing that commonly gets thrown at me when I talk about Xhaka's importance. The fact is, guys, it is undeniable. And yesterday was another prime example of that. I thought that at centre-back, we were all over the place, you know, in, in large periods. I thought we were we were really poor at times. I thought we made silly mistakes. I thought we got caught, you know, in, in weird positions. And by weird positions... You know, sometimes we were we were caught too far up the field. There's a back line. Sometimes we were caught way too deep and too passive. 
And that's why I'm going to come on to talk about the overall, you know, idea and, and sort of approach of the team yesterday, because I felt like it was all, it was all unclear. It, you know, I, I couldn't work out what exactly the plan was. And, and I can't always say that about Mikel Arteta's side. You know, people will say that his team haven't, haven't progressed enough and they haven't been good enough. And at times, you know, there's no, well, a lot of the time, there's no denying that the results haven't been there. But I've always understood what was the plan, even if it wasn't carried out to perfection. However, yesterday, I struggled with that. And and I talk about missing Jacka. We miss David Lewis equally as much, in my opinion, a dominant leader, um, somebody who's very vocal, who would have got the team up at the right points. Uh, would have dropped off that little bit deeper at the right times. Rob Holding looked rusty as hell. Um, I, I just, I, I can't work out Rob Holding. There's times where he looks really, really good. And then there's times where he looks um, completely sort of, you know, just off the boil. And 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 yesterday was another example of that. He made bad decisions. He, he got too tight to people at times. Mane spun him a few times. And, you know, when you play a quality of opponent like Liverpool, you you can't afford to have a, a substandard game. And I thought he did. And, you know, the 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 influence of, of David Luiz was was very badly missed and talked about the the news about his injury. And, and obviously that's bad. And um, as I said, I think he's our best centre-back. And I think we've got a serious problem there now. But let's talk about the overall um, sort of idea of the team. And, and you know, when we got some joy against Liverpool at the back end of the last season in the Premier League, if you remember, it was because Lacazette and I think it was Reese Nelson that day were closing Liverpool down when they were trying to play out from the back. The press was really, really effective from Arsenal that day. Mikel Arteta talked in the lead up to the game about needing to adapt to our opponent, needing to adapt um, against a, a very good Liverpool side. And I actually think we tried to adapt way too much. I, I always beat this drum, but since Christmas, for me, there has been an improvement in Arsenal. Um, the results, as I say, have not always been reflective of that, but I do think that the performances generally have been better. And that's because we've played this 4-2-3-1 system. We've stuck with it. We've got used to it. We found a better balance between defence and attack, maybe not in the last couple of weeks, but overall since we made that switch. But yesterday, I couldn't work out what the plan was, right? Mikel Arteta spoke about adaptation. What what was it that he set the team out to do? Was it to press Liverpool or was it to sit off of Liverpool? At times, we saw both. And this is what really frustrated me. At times, we saw every single Arsenal player deep on the edge of their penalty area, behind the ball, trying to be compact, trying to close down spaces, trying to keep uh, Pete, uh, Liverpool you know, at, on, at an arm's length like this, making it difficult for Jurgen Klopp's side to break us down. And to evidence that, Martin Odegaard was the only player in the Arsenal team whose average position on the heat map was in the opposition half. So that for me was, you know, that was telling. But then at times we would try and press. When Liverpool had the ball at the back, understandably, they were trying to lure us out. They were passing the ball around at the back. And on a few occasions, you saw Lacazette 
Pepe, maybe Odegaard just in behind, and Aubameyang trying to press. But that is no good if the rest of the team do not then push up. It doesn't work unless you do it as a team. The way you squeeze people into their own half, you need everybody to do it. You need your defence to push up to the halfway line. You need everybody on board with the press. That is how you suffocate teams. That's how Manchester City do it, for example. And I, I covered their game with Leicester yesterday and they won the ball back very high up on numerous occasions because they squeezed up to the halfway line and their forwards, you know, were were winning the ball. And when they did win the ball, there were people in and around them in Manchester City shirts who they could use, who they could pass to, who they could play off of to make things happen. But in Arsenal's case yesterday, that just didn't happen. And as I talked about, there were situations where the front three, front four, if you want to include Odegaard, did press when Liverpool had the ball at the back. Yet the back four and Ceballos and Partey stayed put. And what does that do? It creates a gaping hole in your team. Look at all of this space, unvacated. And I've watched the game back. So I did pick out a couple of examples of where this happened. This is not something I'm making up off the top of my head. You know, the front four would press or, or at least had the intention to press, not particularly effectively, but they were trying to do it nonetheless. Liverpool would beat that initial press and then their midfield would have loads of time on the ball to start picking up passes. And and then there comes this panic from the Arsenal side once they realise, oh God, our forwards have, have pressed, our midfield hasn't done it and our defence is sitting really deep and there was a panic and all of a sudden they'd start stepping up once the, the Liverpool midfield had received the ball and that was then leaving the space for the likes of Mo Salah in behind. And we know, okay, we know that Liverpool have the pace to hurt you in behind. You know, they they really, really do. You know, you you put balls in into this channel for, for Mo Salah. You could put balls in all day into this channel for Mane to chase. Um, you know, Firmino does an excellent job of occupying centre-halves and bringing them in tighter. And, and allowing those spaces in the wide areas to be exposed by his forward counterparts. I think that's why, uh, you know, Roberto Firmino has had so much praise over the years. It's why Mo Salah and Sadio Mane score more goals than him, because he really, really does. Um, he really, really does uh, sort of do a really good job of, of creating that space for those around him. But th- th- this was the problem with the press, right? For me, it's either go out, press as a team, accept the risks that come with that or don't press at all, sit deep, try and keep it compact. And Arsenal kept getting caught in between. Arsenal kept finding themselves in this halfway house whereby the forwards would press Liverpool when they had the ball at the back. But um, for whatever reason, the midfield were too slow in following that up and the defence subsequently too slow in following that up. And all of a sudden, once Liverpool beat the first line of Arsenal press, the ball was in the midfield and it was easy for them to put balls in behind. Now, with Liverpool, they're different to Manchester City, right? Manchester City play with a precision. And what they would do is they would look to pick out specific passes. But Liverpool know that they can hit certain channels and they can still do that to good effect because they have 
incredible pace in the forward areas. And that is the kind of thing that Mane and Salah thrive from. So th- this was the biggest problem for Arsenal yesterday. And I thought after the first goal went in, when we were trying to be a little bit more aggressive, it happened even more. And it became even more evident and even more clear that we were pressing as a unit of four and not as a unit of 11 or, or 10 outfield players. And the gaps were coming from that. So that, that for me, was the key point uh, as to why Arsenal struggled. The half-hearted press was just an absolute disaster. And, you know, is it that Mikel Arteta had advised the the front men to press and told the midfield and the defence to stay back? We'll never really know that, will we? I suspect, though, that without Granit Xhaka and David Luiz, two of his leaders who do drive the team, who do organise, who do pull people up with them, who do um, talk, who are very, very vocal, I think that there was a bit of a breakdown there in terms of that lack of communication. Also, you know, when we got the ball in the final third, we did absolutely jack shit with it. You know, without Emil Smith-Rowe, without Bukayo Saka, we lacked the guile, we lacked the enthusiasm, the energy. Nobody really got close enough to Alexander Lacazette. I thought Nicola Pepe and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang were, were atrocious yesterday. I thought they were both really, really bad. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, some individuals during the week. So I'll save that for then. But yeah, um, that was a, a big point I I, I had. And, and I'll come on to talk about ball progression in just a moment. But let's go over uh, to the live chat for a second. Big hello uh, to the Yank Guna. He says, first and foremost, I love your channel and logical takes on Arsenal, Harry. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everybody uh, for tuning in, of course. Um, 1-0 to the Arsenal says, uh, what worried me, Harry, was our lack of ideas up front. We have the most expensive front three in the league and we're stuck in kayak and Phillips's pocket. Not good. Um, talking about um, the, the two Liverpool centre-halves there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it makes it even more frustrating that, you know, this is a Liverpool team. Ozan Kabak, not kayak. I'm just going by your comment, Ozan Kabak. It makes it even more frustrating that you looked at that Liverpool defence and you saw a defence that could be got at. You saw a defence that Arsenal could cause problems for. You saw a defence that has caused Liverpool problems throughout the campaign. And it's why they're a million miles off of retaining their title. You know, the goals that we conceded ourselves were really soft. I I felt at least two of them, Leno, could have done more, could have done better. Um, but yeah, I, I totally take your point on board, mate. There's a massive frustration off the back of the fact that you looked at that Kabak Phillips partnership and you, it doesn't scare anybody. Yet we were unable to take advantage. We were unable to make anything of it. I thought that we struggled to progress the ball forward. Um, I, part of that was down to what I was talking about from Sabas earlier, where he took too many touches, didn't move the ball on quick enough. There was one instance where we looked like we could have built a counter-attack. I watched it back and he had a little bit of an, uh, a passing exchange with Martin Odegaard and I was sitting there going, move the ball quicker, just move it quicker. And he ended up drawing a foul um, out of the opponent, won us a free kick, but the, the counter-attacking opportunity had disappeared. So, um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's really, really frustrating. I think you know when we did get the ball, and I, I talk about the the struggles to progress the ball into Martin Odegaard in particular. I thought he looked a real uh, lonely figure yesterday in this area here. You know, Partey ordinarily uh, has been pretty good at playing these kind of passes in between the lines into Odegaard. Sabahos didn't do it at all. But Liverpool obviously did a job on Partey, um, more so than they did on Danny Sabahos. I think they pressed Sabahos when he had the ball because they know and they've seen uh, that he's been susceptible to errors lately. But I think they probably identified Thomas Partey as the man who would move the ball into Martin Odegaard, who would then turn, go on and try and make things happen. So we just, it just all broke down. It was as if Arsenal were were two different teams. Um, it was almost like a training drill. You know, when you get those training drills and it's like defence versus attack, that's what this felt like. Um, you know, defence versus attack. Liverpool, um, the, the attack, us, the defence, and our defence and attack sort of internally were completely separated from one another as well. And we weren't able to move the ball forward to make stuff happen. So, yeah, big, big problems. And, um, you know, that that pass to Odegaard wasn't a thing. It wasn't happening. It wasn't done anywhere near regularly enough. And it felt like every time we did try and break, it was as though we'd been instructed almost to just look for a Bamiyang on the left all the time. And it's, you know, it's just boring. Like, a Bamiyang doesn't have the guile, doesn't have the skill, doesn't have the creativity to create opportunities time and time again for his teammates. Yes, on the odd occasion, it's worked and it's been great where he's received the ball on the left-hand side. He stepped inside his man and bent one into the far corner. But you can't have that same plan, that same move, that same pattern of play and expect it to work against every opponent every single week. We've got to vary it up a little bit. And the fact we couldn't get the ball into Odegaard, we couldn't get the ball into Lacazette, stopped us varying that play. Pepe was was non-existent again um, yesterday. Another really frustrating performance from him. And, and we talk a lot about, you know, having a big squad and having big numbers. Yeah, we do have numbers. But the reason that this squad is so poor is not for a lack of numbers. It's because the likes of Nicolas Pepe, who are very, very frustrating because they can come in one week and be absolutely sensational and turn a game around. And the following week, they can do nothing. And this was another example of him doing nothing. And there's too many games like that. And the same can be said for Willian and a number of others in that Arsenal team. And this is the issue beyond our first choice 11, which in my opinion includes Emil Smith-Rowe, includes Bukayo Saka, David Lewis, Granite Xhaka, four players who were unavailable yesterday. Beyond that, there is a serious inconsistency and that inconsistency is plaguing us right now. I said right at the top of the programme, I wasn't going to really talk about attitude, about application. But that goes without saying. We all knew that that was a problem. And I made my feelings clear on that on the post-match reaction podcast. So I'm not going to repeat myself and, and, and sort of go around in circles. But what I do want to say is that, you know, all of this isn't so much of an issue. All of this that I'm talking about, all of this that I've shown you or explained to you, if you're listening via the audio, isn't as much of an issue if the application is right, if the attitude is right, if people take responsibility, but they didn't. They didn't take responsibility. And that's why Arsenal uh, ended up 
really struggling uh, to cope with a really good Liverpool side. And, and look, Liverpool have had a bad season, but that doesn't mean they don't still have a lot of quality. They really, really do. I see a lot of people saying that, you know, Mikel Arteta should leave off the back of this and it's an absolute disaster and a car crash. I tell you what, it's all on the Europa League. And if we go and win on Thursday, um, then for me, at least for now, all is forgiven for now. I've said it all along. This season's a bit of a free hit uh, for Mikel Arteta. And so whilst he's still in the Europa League, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I know not everybody agrees with that, but I, I I like to think that the reason I feel that way is because I recognise what a massive, massive job um, he's got on his hands. Let's see how it goes, but it's Europa League or bust for Mikel Arteta. If he doesn't win the Europa League for me from the very first whistle of next season, he will be under immense pressure and rightly so because, you know, we can talk about signs of progress, but you've got to convert, convert that, sorry, you got to convert that progress. You've got to convert, you know, all the good things that we've talked about over the last few months into results because ultimately that's what he's there to do. And, you know, I've talked a lot over the course of the season about how the defence has been better, but actually in, in recent weeks it's got worse. It's declined again, you know, conceded three goals uh, against Liverpool, three goals at West Ham uh, just the other week as well. So there's been a number of, um, of games now in which we've not looked anywhere near as watertight. Um, I, I kind of put it down to the fact that we were a little bit more expansive in our game and that is a, a risk that comes with that. But when you watch the way we played yesterday, you know, um, where we were very, very deep and defensive, it, it, you know, you there's no excuse for, for playing that way and then being so sort of poor and open defensively. Um, some of you mentioned in the chat about the, the budget in the summer, and we don't know what that's going to be. And, and judging by Mikel Arteta's recent comments, he doesn't know what that's going to be because it is dependent on how this campaign finishes. Can Arsenal sneak into the Champions League? Can Arsenal secure Europa League qualification at least to give their finances a much needed boost? Uh, because this transfer window in the summer is going to be a tough window. Um, I think there will be some backing. I think the Cronkies will um, will make something happen, but I'm not expecting miracles and I don't think anybody should. And I don't think you should be uh, allowing your expectations to, to get carried away and then ultimately being disappointed. But those are the things I wanted to talk about from a more tactical perspective. Um, the fact that Danny Ceballos didn't mirror the role that Granit Xhaka does um, in that team, I thought caused us a problem uh, defensively. It also caused us a problem when we were trying to move the ball forward because, it, as I said before, he takes too many touches. He's not press resistant. I talked about the half-hearted press, the fact that we were pressing as a forward unit, but not following it up with the midfield, not following it up with the back four and therefore creating a disconnect in that massive space um, that I've highlighted, that big box on the screen, if you're watching the video. Um, you know, that was the breakdown and the and Liverpool, once they beat our press, where our three forwards were, were trying to close them down and found the midfield, the likes of Fabinho, Milner, etc. They had all the time in the world to play balls into those channels, looking for Salah, looking for Mane, or drive forward themselves and Arsenal be retreating all the time but not the full unit because the other half of the unit have been doing something completely different. 
Um, so I, I don't know if that was deliberate. I probably would guess it wasn't from Mikel Arteta. Um, I think it was just poor application of of what would have been a, a probably well thought out game plan. But yeah, um, those are the big things for me. There's a lack of depth in this squad in terms of the quality that we have, because beyond those, um, you know, those four players that I talked about, we're just not good enough. Sabas isn't press resistant, didn't do a good job in the centre of midfield. The fact that he was replaced by El Nenny after about an hour tells you all you need to know. Uh, we had one idea when we tried to break forward, and that was to look for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which was just all too predictable. Uh, Martin Odegaard wasn't able to get in the game because the ball uh, was uh, rarely progressed from the midfield. Those are just some of the things that I feel went wrong from a tactical standpoint. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this slightly more tactical analysis of the game. As I said, I went through the pain this morning of watching it back in full. But now that this is done, I don't have to ever watch it again, uh, which is obviously the good news. Um, thank you to everybody who's who's tuned in. And we're going to be back tomorrow with another couple of streams and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. Our live watch along is back for the first leg against Slavia Prague. Uh, so looking forward um, to watching that one in you guys' company as well. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't, because I don't think we've got anywhere near enough likes right now. I don't know what's going on with that. I know it's Easter Sunday, so I'll make a bit of an allowance. Everybody's eating too much, probably half asleep. We've got 37. Let's get it up to 50 at least uh, between now and, uh, and when the outro finishes. Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Enjoy what's left of your Easter Sunday. Enjoy your bank holiday Monday. And I'll be working tomorrow. So I'll make sure I bring you some Arsenal content there. And uh, I'll catch up with you all then. Until tomorrow, take care. Um, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Did you enjoy the tactical breakdown? Would you like to see these after every game? If so, um, I'll, uh, I'll make sure that we can put those together going forward. Thank you all so much. And I'll catch you all soon. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening 